0: I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing.
1: And Nigel Farage joins us for the next 10 minutes. For over a year, Observer journalist Carol Cadwallader, who broke the Cambridge Analytica scandal, has been talking to Peter Dukes, the writer behind the hit podcast Untold, The Daniel Morgan Murder. He's helped lead the populist
2: movement. This whole story is about information disinformation, propaganda, and the way that is used and the way that it's weaponized.
0: The man behind
1: Brexit, Mr. Nigel Farage. I have
3: to say, it is having some success, it right. I, 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 I some Nigel, because it clearly
2: is worrying some people. Nigel,
0: because it's here from the Guardian. Oh, and goodbye. And their greatest ally actually is the media.
3: Robert Swan
1: Muller. I care deeply about the rule of law. What has never changed, and will never change, are our values. From the makers of Untold, this is Kyle M for Mueller. Along with
3: Carol Kadwalda, we'll be reporting on the front line of this information warfare, with everything concerning Trump, Russia, Brexit, and why Britain needs a Mueller inquiry. So it looks like things are really coming together now. A lot is coming out into the open and indictments are about to fly Be here. Carol, what are we going to talk about this week?
2: We are going to talk about Nigel Farage, who for the whole duration that I've been writing this story for the last two years has been an absolutely central character in understanding what is going on here and the relationship between Brexit and Trump And Russia.
3: You've tried to talk to him on numerous occasions, but he refuses to talk to you. Why do you think that is?
2: It's this incredible situation. Nigel Farage, he's a public figure. We pay his wages out of our taxes. He's an MEP, a member of the European Parliament, and he refuses to take questions from a journalist. He has this show five times a week, it's on LBC. If I ring as myself, I cannot get through to him. So what I've started doing was I started ringing up and giving a false name. The last time I did that, so it was actually last Sunday, we had a new story in The Observer. And so 10 o'clock, I get up Sunday morning. I think, I know, I'll ring Nigel Farage. So it was quite funny because so the first time I rang in, because you talked to the producer. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, who am I going to be this week? And I thought, I know, I'm going to be Keris from Cardiff. So I rang in and I said, hiya. And I was like, oh, it's Keris from Cardiff here. And I really want to talk to Nigel because I'm so pissed off with Theresa May. Anyway, the producer was like, oh, yeah, we'll call you back. And I was like, damn, damn, damn. OK, I've got to try again. So I rang straight back. I've got an app, which gives you... Uh, can you me... hide
3: the number? Can you So, you you can hide... they, so uh... it gives you a different phone
2: number. So I rang I rang straight back. This time I was like, oh, Hello. And I said, it's Sarah from Weybridge here. <laughs> and they were like, hold the line, Sarah, we'll put you straight through.
3: Sarah right, is a new caller from Weybridge in Surrey. Good morning, Sarah.
2: Oh, hello. Hi, Nigel. Thanks so much for having me. Um, so, so, yes, well, I was explaining that, um, that I think that I got put through because I said that, you know, I'm a true blue voter. Right. Um, voted Conservative all of my life. Uh. And I've been wondering about Corbyn. But actually, Nigel, there's something else, which is that um, this is actually, I'm actually, it's Carol Cadwallader
3: from The Observer here. Oh, go away. Honestly, you are a ranting lunatic. in London's biggest conversation, LBC. Well, today in The Observer, you published a news story which nobody's ever realised before about Nigel Farage and his key connections with people associated with the Trump campaign.
2: So the whole piece is the piece that I've been sort of thinking about for a long time, thousands of words. I was trying to do a sort of reassessment of Nigel Farage because in Britain he's still this sort of cosy Mr Brexit character, whereas what we're going to talk about today is actually how he's like right in the middle of these sort of different global forces.
3: Particularly between America and Russia.
2: He's very, very key to Mueller's investigation, or at least people who he had key meetings with at key moments who are very close to Muller's investigation. And what I realised, I had this moment of epiphany when I was sort of writing this at high speed earlier this week about the timing. And there was a really key thing about the timing about a dinner which happened in the summer of 2016. Um, Uh, Because this dinner, Nigel Farage was there, Roger Stone was there, and Alex Jones was there. And it was at the Republican convention in July, 2016.
3: July, 2016 is bang in the middle between the Brexit vote and the vote of Donald Trump. More importantly, we should explain to, to especially to British listeners, who this guy Roger Stone is because he's quite central. Tell us about Roger Stone because we have met him, actually, haven't we, briefly?
2: Yeah. So Roger Stone is so key and Muller is looking at Roger Stone because Roger Stone claimed to have knowledge about what WikiLeaks was going to leak, what emails it had, and when it was going to leak them before, before it did. Yeah. And so what Mueller is, this is one of the key strands of his investigation, yeah. is trying to figure out who knew what when yeah. and find out what the chain of communication was and how information travelled from Julian Assange in, in London. London to the Trump campaign. So when I started following this story, I read about this connection between Roger Stone and Nigel Farage And he was just like a name in an article. And then I watched this absolutely fantastic documentary, which is on Netflix, called Get Me Roger Stone. So Roger Stone has been close to Donald Trump for decades. And he's been proposing a Trump run for president for decades, practically. And he calls himself the Dirty Trickster. That's actually how he describes himself. He is Mr. Dirty Politics. He kind of invented dirty politics using sort of dark money in illicit ways that was roger stone
3: and nigel went to dinner with him
2: i went to australia to meet Nigel. essentially i mean it, it was a bit nuts but then this is a man who has refused to take my questions for two years.
3: Calling him Nigel, I thought you... I
2: know, think... I'm not Farage, you're right. <laughs> I know, I know.
3: But you met him, he was quite affable, wasn't he?
2: Well, so on the plane I read his autobiography, Flying Free. I just thought it was it's sort of interesting. This is the image that Nigel, that Farage wants to present. What image? He, well, he was born in the Garden of England, you know, in a Kent village, um, with a golf club on the door, his father a stockbroker... Um, he went to public Dulwich. school, to Dulwich. Dulwich College. And it's this, you know, he's projecting this image of the English gentleman, essentially.
3: Which is the UKIP um, agenda in a way. There. The propositions to the British people in Brexit is, let's take back control, stop all these foreigners coming in. Yet what you're saying is it's very close to certain foreigners.
2: The refreshing thing about Farage, which was the sort of refreshing thing about Trump, was that he doesn't come across as a professional politician. And he always played that up. He liked to pint. He liked his red wine. He always had time. It was called a PFL. What's a PFL? It's a proper fucking lunch. And that's, <laughs> that was Farage's term for, you know, it's, always, it's this kind of bon vivant. And he is that person. He's kind of, he's got that charisma. He's very jovial. He's got a good sense of humour. But that is only surface now. And there is something else which is absolutely going on beneath the surface.
3: So who is Nigel Farage, or who was he, like, seven, eight years ago? Because I remember him as being a kind of sort comic character, a Toad of Toad Hall character, affable, wearing tweeds, smoking, drinking beer. This is not the Nigel Farage you're talking about that most people know.
2: In Britain, he still is that character, and he's still treated as that character, and he appears on television as that character, but it's to neglect this really sort of very different journey that Farage has taken in the last few years, this association that he has not just with key figures in the outright in the US, but also the really extreme far right across Europe. And that's what's so interesting about Farage. He's a bridgehead between the sort of pro-Putin Viktor Orban, who's the dictator fundamentally in Hungary,
1: Marine Le Pen.
3: Marine
2: Mm. Le Pen. Front National. They all connect and support each other inside the European Parliament. The European Parliament is a kind of vector for far-right forces from across Europe. But then he's the bridgehead Farage because he also connects so strongly through to Bannon, who's a very good friend of his, Steve Bannon, and these other, a cast of characters in the US who a lot of people in Britain aren't aware of but have extreme, quite poisonous views. One of the people who is going to be at that dinner who we talk about later is Alex Jones. He tells lies for profit and his lies have had a huge amount of currency. And the tech giants, YouTube and Twitter and Facebook, it was only very, very recently under pressure that that they've booted them off their platforms. So what's so interesting about UKIP? is UKIP is a tiny fringe party, but it has absolutely outsized influence in Britain. And that's essentially the fault of the media. Mm. So the media has given UKIP and Farage in particular a platform to broadcast his message. And what's so interesting about UKIP, this is what somebody said to me, who is a, an insider, a UKIP insider. And that was that it's just vulnerable. So if you want to take over UKIP, it's so easy to take over the Conservative Party with, you know, money from the outright right in America or money from, you know, Russia or, or anywhere, it's really difficult to do that with the big party. But UKIP, it was tiny and it needed money. From 2011-12, you see very clearly that the US outright, right in particular Steve Bannon and Robert Mercer, the hedge fund billionaire who supported Trump, who funded Bannon, You see them trying to influence and fund uh, UKIP and support them. And you also see these connections very clearly through to Russia too.
3: It's funny, it's almost at the same time, 11, 12, I mean, I think the record shows that Bannon, Steve Bannon and Nigel Farage became friends around about 2011, 12, and there's talk about forming a British Tea Party, which didn't quite work in Britain since the Tea Party were rebelling against the Brits, so they didn't quite take off the ground, but also, isn't it, around the same time you see these increasing Russian connections?
2: Well, one of the things which I discovered only when I started looking at it, really, was just how influential RT has been in Nigel Farage's career. RT is it used to stand for Russia Today, and it is a Russian state broadcaster. It is funded 100% by the Russian government. It is a propaganda tool for the Russian state. It has supported Nigel Farage's career since 2011 in very key and influential ways. I didn't realize that Ben Nimmo, he's this expert in Russian propaganda, RT is actually the most influential network on YouTube. RT has totally cracked YouTube's algorithm in this incredibly clever way. It buys in this this like I mean, it's a really watchable crack cocaine kind of clickbait content, which is tsunamis and tropical storms and, you know, just like, you know, that just like amazing. Just
3: grab your eyes. That's, like that's right. But
2: Whilst you're watching sort of like, you know, ships being thrown up in the tsunami down the right hand side of the column is suggestions. For, and the suggestions you get down the right hand side are like, watch Farage in the European Parliament.
3: You have the charisma of a damp rag and the appearance of a low-grade bank clerk. And the question that I want to ask, the question that I want to ask, that we're all going to ask is, who are you? I'd never heard of you. Nobody in Europe had ever heard of you. I would like to ask you, President,
2: who voted for you? One of the things I have found about trying to sort of investigate all these different strands is there is a certain amount which is covert and hidden and you're trying to rely upon people to give you emails. But there's also so much which is out in the open. And so the fact that Farage, he votes in support of Russia supporting policies inside the European Parliament alongside Marine Le Pen. And then you look at the fact that he has made hundreds, if not thousands, appearances and on RT. and He RT, gets paid? Well, he? RT have denied that, actually. Oh, OK.
1: Right.
2: So... Not just that, RT, every single time Farage stands up in the European Parliament and makes a speech, which is, he makes a speech for the soundbite, essentially. RT clips that, it puts it on YouTube, wow. and then it uses its algorithm to, like, spin that. So to... he barely
3: turns up at the European Parliament, does he?
2: Well, that's what Richard Corbett, who's like an MEP, was telling me. Yeah. He was saying, he's saying, he said that, you know, he, he turns up once a month. He gets, tipped, as the leader of one of the groups there, he gets a um, plenary speech once a month. And so he turns up, makes his speech, which is... He said it, sometimes it's got nothing to do with the debate they're having oh, in the it's, Parliament. It's just a soundbite
3: for the RT. It's
2: just for social media. And, um, and it, it, so he says he doesn't even wait, hang around for questions sometimes. He's off straight off out of there. So it's this incredible way that the European Parliament is being used as a platform to, to spread these anti-European messages.
3: So he doesn't just connect with a Russian propaganda network he also connects with certain key personnel, doesn't he? I mean, he denied, I think, at one stage that somebody had ever met the Russian ambassador, yet, lo and behold, on the site of the Russian embassy is him meeting in 2013, I believe, Ambassador Yakovenko.
2: Yeah, it's it's quite interesting that, and it's quite interesting that, you know, we know about this set of meetings which happened with his key associates, Aaron Banks and Andy Wigmore, these are the people who we have tracked having meetings inside the Russian embassy and being offered inducements. Essentially, Nigel Farage was not part of those meetings, yeah. and I don't think that's coincidental. I think there's very much
3: Protect arms Nigel. length. Keep arms him. length. Yeah, but he had those initial contacts. There were a number of Russian-affiliated sort of figures around UKIP, maybe for good reason. But as you say, it's a small party; you can take it over. So talking about Farage and his importance and what was happening in 2016, what we can't forget is this really important meeting, which was accidentally discovered by BuzzFeed, which was with Organisation One. What is Organisation One, Cal?
2: Organisation One turns up in Muller's indictment. So one of the indictments that was unsealed earlier this year, he lays out this extraordinary document which lays out the details Of how the GRU, Russian military intelligence, hacked uh, key figures in America in the Democrats' party. And what's amazing is we are following this in real time. So that was that day. It was actually Trump's, when Trump came to London and there was that massive protest. I was having to work and I was sat at my kitchen table when Mueller's indictment dropped. And it was just like this extraordinary story of this.
3: But he named them. He named the actual officers and what they were doing. Apparently, no Dutch intelligence had hacked the cameras of the GIU base, and they were watching them hacking the Americans. It's incredible what they
2: did. But in that same indictment, he talked about how Russian military intelligence handed the emails over to Organisation One. Now, anybody who's in any way familiar with this story read Organisation One and went, oh, my God, WikiLeaks. So we know that organisation one, WikiLeaks, received the emails from the GRU. Now, my interest in the Farage angle on this story began back in April of last year when I got this amazing tip. So this source, incredibly highly placed connections to US intelligence, said to me, look at the timeline look at the timeline of Farage's visit to the embassy. Which was when? So that was in March, March March the 9th. So at the time, there was that BuzzFeed report which dropped, Nigel Farage had been caught coming out of the Ecuadorian embassy. He looked
3: very embarrassed in that picture. He looked so
2: embarrassed. And BuzzFeed said, what are you doing in there, Nigel? And Nigel said, I cannot remember.
3: What, he'd just come out and couldn't he, remember? He was
2: on the steps and they said, what are you doing in there? And literally the quote is, I can't remember.
3: Proper fucking lunch, eh?
2: Proper fucking lunch. So I looked at the timing and I was like, oh, this is really weird because Farage comes out of the embassy at about noon. BuzzFeed's story drops online at 1.21, I think it is. 57 minutes later, WikiLeaks put out a major new leak, Vault 7. <laughs> What was so interesting about Vault 7, it was a bombshell thrown into the middle of the news cycle and the effect it has was that it pushed Trump-Russia off the front page and it made it all about CIA surveillance of the American population. For ages, he didn't give any answer as to what he was doing inside the embassy and then he said General. that it was he was there to do an interview, the interview never appeared, etc, etc. So I wrote about this, la- again, last November, I wrote this column about, oh, this just... All these links, you know, we can see through Nigel Farage, his links to Cambridge Analytica and his links to WikiLeaks and his links to Steve Bannon. And Farage erupted on his show with this, this like, she accuses me of being the bag man. And he it he out quite clearly, actually, which is the idea that he's in some way a courier.
0: I'm going listen to that. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news.
3: If you want a really good laugh and a proper example um, of what the Donald would call fake news, just have a little look at this today. Trump, Assange, Bannon, Farage, bound together in an unholy alliance. Uh, and this is in today's Observer. And it would appear that I am the bagman. I'm the one running messages and exchanging information between the President of the USA. And Julian Assange, um, you know, I am the bagman. Uh, well, I just let me just tell you, this is a complete lot of baloney. Do we know that WikiLeaks is Assange? And I happen to know they were or are, because I had an encounter with uh, Julian. He knows some friends of mine. But actually, when I was covering the phone hacking trial and its aftermath, I happened to tweet out, and I'm mentioning some of his direct messages. He's obviously following me when they were leaked that a lot of journalists were police informants. So I got this direct message from WikiLeaks saying, can you provide a list of who you think are police informers? I don't think he realised the ones I was thinking of were working for Murdoch. I think he wanted them to see other people. I said, how do I get that to you? And he said, drop it round the embassy. Now that's the WikiLeaks account talking me direct. Meanwhile, I have to tell you this little anecdote. When we broke the story of the Aaron Banks emails, I was also contacted again by WikiLeaks. So do you want to give us the emails? And so this time I tested them and I said, How do I get them to you? And obviously, Julian is no longer running that account all, all the time because they said they'd be really complicated crypto uh-huh. dropbox.
2: So, what? So, I yeah, you actually haven't told me this before. So, what? WikiLeaks contacted you to say, Give us the Aaron Banks emails. Yeah. What the? What?
3: I don't know, trying to be, obviously, it wasn't Julian this time because there, there wasn't direct to the embassy. And I think it was at the point he'd, he'd actually gone quiet. It's
2: so weird. So to go back, so I think the key thing here is that the timing of WikiLeaks leaks is the key thing that Mueller is looking at.
3: Let's go back to 2016. And now we're going to America in the middle of the Trump campaign, right, just after Brexit. What happens? What's this dinner with Roger Stone and what's the timeline there, Cal?
2: So there's this extraordinary sequence of events. The key piece of advice I was given right at the start of this was look at the timeline, the time. and we know that the reason why Mueller is looking at the timeline is because he is trying to prove collusion between the Trump campaign and between the Russian
3: government, with maybe Assange as the middleman. And some so occasion.
2: he's looking at he's looking at that in various ways. There's yeah. there's a whole host of different investigations that Mueller is doing, but this one around Roger Stone and the timing and the WikiLeaks thing is because. If you can prove that a Trump campaign associate was in communication with Assange around the timing of when those emails came out, you can prove
3: collusion. And knew in advance.
2: Exactly. So Roger Stone has got all these really big questions about what his activity was. And we know that Mueller has not just interviewed him multiple times, but also his key associates, one of whom is this character who called Jerome Corsi. He was a correspondent for Infowars. He was the
3: chief bureau correspondent for in Infowars Washington. in Washington and got a place at the White House. More importantly, his key to the beginning of Trump's political career, as it was the, his presidential launch, he wrote this book in 2011, which is basically what they call the birth of the conspiracy, that Obama is not an American, is a secret Muslim, fringe conspiracy theory, like, you know, people didn't actually land on the moon. And, but he became a tenant exactly that year for Donald Trump, him launching his political career, because, Obama is not because,
2: American. Because what's so? What's the key thing about info wars? Is it's like Trump's personal propaganda outlet, and from InfoWars, those key narratives seep into the rest of the American media. So you see the way that sort of information which goes out in InfoWars then migrates to Fox News and the rest of the media. Yeah,
3: now because we're talking about Alex Jones, because he is at this dinner. Is that right?
2: Yes, yeah, so I, I sat down and I started looking mm-hmm. at this at this timeline. And I realised that I had spoken more than a year ago to the filmmaker, one of the filmmakers, Daniel DeMauro from Get Me Roger Stone. And he told me about this dinner that the crew had accompanied Roger Stone and Alex Jones to, to meet Nigel Farage at the Republican convention. So he told me that at the time. Subsequently, Morgan, his filmmaking partner, had actually gone on the record and said that. So there was a reference to it online. Another member of the film crew got in touch with me over Twitter, actually. And I was like, tell me more about the dinner. What was the scenario? And he said, well, Farage really didn't want to be photographed. He didn't want us to record. It was like this big deal we had to take. We were following stone everywhere. He insisted when we got to the dinner, Farage and his aide said, no, 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 no way. And we had to take the wire off him. And he was sort of like, he just looked, really, just looked really suspicious.
3: But this is this affable guy who doesn't seem to have anything to hide, who likes drinks, you know, who sort of has these drunken lunches. And suddenly it's all very secretive.
2: So then you look at the dates, OK, and I was looking at the dates. So I, was, I was like, when was the Republican National Convention? And so I'm looking and it's like July 18th to 21st. So we know the dinner took place in that time frame. So what happened immediately afterwards, July 22nd, day after the convention ended, that was when WikiLeaks released yeah. the DNC leaks. And this is what he said, you know we must remember what when that DNC leaks, when that came out, it devastated the Democratic Convention. It threw it into chaos.
3: The leader had to resign, wasn't it? It was basically emails, weaponized emails of sort of internal gossip, which then was so pushed out that people, well, the whole it, it convention...
2: Destroyed, it destroyed any chance of the kind of Bernie supporter base supporting Hillary Clinton, essentially. Yeah. It sort of left the Democrats in complete disarray. And
3: timed perfectly they couldn't counter, so timed just before their own convention.
2: So that was one thing which mm. happened on July the twenty-second. Wow. That same day, I looked and I went to the Ur text in all of this, the bad boys of Brexit. So this is Aaron Banks's memoir, which was ghosted by this journalist Isabel Oakeshott. So I went and I looked, and there it is. Of course, July the 20- twenty. He it was actually Aaron Banks. He puts it. He wrote about it July twenty-third. Aaron Banks wasn't at the convention. Cleveland,
3: it was in Cleveland, wasn't it? Yeah, so Aaron
2: Banks wasn't there, but he's he's writing what he he, has heard about it from Farage and Wigmore. So there's this extraordinary moment, which is that he said, oh, yeah, Farage was getting off the plane. And Posh George, as he was called, Posh George, who's this 22-year-old George Cottrell, who was working for Nigel Farage and was UKIP's chief fundraiser, Control walks off the plane and um, it's kind of like, it's this amazing scene. These federal agents swoop. There's like a whole um, SWAT team of them. And they grab George, posh George, and they handcuff him. And they whisk him off into some armoured vehicle. And then they find out, they get the rap sheet, and they find out it's 21 counts against him of money laundering and blackmail and, and extortion and essentially what what it transpires is that Cottrell is being accused of money laundering, making these contacts over the dark net.
3: But he was really, he did eight months and he was released very, very quickly for these 21 charges, which is you expect, quite a stretch.
2: And it's just like this weird, weird, hmm. you know, of the many weird connections that Farage has, this has been one of the weirdest. And... um it was like, oh yeah, the, the Farage's aide who got done for money laundering. But then it was like going back and looking at the timing of it. This is what, when it, you just start asking more questions. That same day that DNC leaks come out, the day after they've left the convention where Farage has met Stone and yeah. Alex Jones. August the 4th, Stone goes on Alex Jones's InfoWars radio show. And he starts flagging the next set of leaks which are coming up. The
3: John Podesta emails, which are actively being taken by spear phishing from the former senior Democrat.
2: And what what, uh, the filmmaker says to me, he says that it was so noticeable, he said, that after that meeting... Alex Jones is going on the radio every day. He was like broadcasting four hours a day on Infowars, And he said he's really pumped up. He's really excited about the next set of leaks. So there's one extra thing, which just before we move off Cottrell, which is is just so interesting. This journalist for the Daily Beast, Nico Hines, he did quite a sort of deep dive into who Cottrell is. It's the best article out there. And he looked at Cottrell's LinkedIn profile. He was one of only, I think it was 70 followers of Co Bank on LinkedIn. So, this obscure bank, yeah. which. Moldova? It's, yeah, but it's also the bank which was the the laundromat. the
3: laundromat. I worked on that laundromat story, and they took 20 billion through the UK.
2: Yeah, so it's this incredible thing. The laundromat story was about how this Promising bank notes. in Moldova was used to launder money from the Russian government you, through you, to the West.
3: Using promissory you notes, know, which then defaulted.
2: And then he looked at who else he followed on LinkedIn, and there was also Alpha Bank. <laughs> Which is...
3: Which is the Alpha Bank, Trump Tower Communications, a big Russian bank which funds all... So, and
2: this is, this, is a twi- this is a 22-year-old yeah. kid who um, had been working, we know, for a, a Russian family.
3: Quite soon after this moment that Cottrell is arrested, we got hold of Aaron Banks' communications from that time. And he, what does he do, or does Andy Wigmore, I think, do with the rap sheet of George Cottrell?
2: So what is amazing about this, if you look at this this sequence of events, and this is the timeline that I was trying to get down this article, you go from dinner with Alex Jones and Roger Stone, you go from to the DNC leaks, you go to George Cottrell being arrested by federal agents, and then this extraordinary thing. So we reported this back in June. But it's one of those things again, which is lost until you put it into the context. And that is Andy Wigmore... Who is Aaron Banks' business partner, who is the spokesman for the Leave EU campaign, who was with Farage on that okay. trip? He emailed his contact, the political secretary, at the Russian Embassy, and he sent him Cottrell's rap sheet. He sent these are confidential legal documents and the, the indictment.
3: And what did and, he say? What did he what did say? He have, have fun with have
2: this. Have fun with this. Very odd. This is a member of Farage's campaign team who is well, in contact with the Russian embassy. Well, but it's
3: circular, isn't it? Because you're saying we talked about Farage beating Assange and Stone wanting to talk to Assange lots of times and talking to the GIU through their cutout. So we have Russia coming through America, coming back through people like Farage and Wigmore who go back to Russia again, at least with their communications. It's like a laundromat of intelligence.
2: So what's key here? Okay, is that what Mueller is trying to do, he's trying to see if there's a case to be made about collusion between the Trump campaign and between the Russian embassy. And what we see very clearly in Aaron Banks and Andy Wigmore is that there is a channel of communication directly from the Trump campaign to the Russian government. And that is absolutely key. And that has still not been understood in any way in Britain. And then this other aspect which we are looking at here is that there also seems to be a third leg to this triangle, which is Farage contact with Assange, with Organisation 1.
3: It's a triangulation of influence all converging the same way. I think there's other thing, another revelation that's happened since the last podcast, which brings it back to Trump and a Russian connection, which is Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon, close friend of Nigel Farage, mentioned many times. Cambridge Analytica at this time makes an approach to Assange, doesn't it? Bannon's company, Cambridge Analytica, makes an approach to Assange saying, can we help with these emails? So there's yet another chance. Well,
2: I need to stop you there because actually this is quite interesting because I think there was an assumption that I'd certainly made before, which was that in some way, Bannon was the link between Farage and Trump. And what I realised this week when I was setting down that timeline is I don't think that's true because at that dinner in Cleveland where Stone and Alex Jones were that was when Manafort, Paul Manafort, was right. the campaign manager for Trump at About the time. About three, four
3: months he'd been, yeah.
2: And Roger Stone is Manafort's man. Yeah. If you're talking with Roger Stone at the convention, then you are essentially talking to Manafort. You are talking to Trump. So it's actually that Farage is more of a conduit in that way than,
3: than, than yeah. Bannon. Than Bannon. He's ahead of Bannon, him.
2: But and what again to go back to the emails of what is so key here is that. Banks and Wigmore were in communication with the Russian embassy through that summer when Manafort was the campaign manager. And they were back in the embassy on the day that Bannon was made campaign manager. And that was shortly before they went out on the campaign trail and met Trump at the Mississippi rally, where Trump introduced Farage on stage as Mr. Brexit.
3: Just to put all this together, you had a revelation last week in The Observer about emails which connect Farage, Banks and Bannon. Can you just explain to that how that fits into this picture we're putting together? So
2: this was some key evidence which was handed over last week by Emma Bryant, an academic, to Damien Collins's committee in Britain. She had got hold of these emails from a Cambridge Analytica employee which were sent between her and Aaron Banks. And what was sort of amazing to see down in black and white was that Aaron Banks was emailing Cambridge Analytica and he was talking about how they were trying to raise money in the US. CC'd in on the email is Steve Bannon, who at the time was working very closely with Robert Mercer, the billionaire who funded Trump. And remember, very, very key, it is illegal to use foreign money in a British election. But here, In writing on an email is Aaron Banks talking about exactly that. Now, we don't know if he did or not, but there's another key thing about that email, which is the time It's exactly the same time period that we also know that he was visiting the Russian embassy and being offered lucrative business deals. So the incredible thing about this is just you see at this critical moment this week in November when LevyU launched its campaign...
3: 2015, just to be clear.
2: We see that these two things that we're looking at, these connections through to the, the far-right, dark-money overlords in America and the connections through to the Russian embassy are right there, and we see that in this email.
3: Can I just conclude on making an observation? Because we know that Steve Bannon rails against globalists and Nigel Farage talks about you know, foreign taking back control... But I've never seen such a bunch of globally connected people. Have you? They're pinging back from the USA to Russia. They're the true globalists. I hate this word globalist. I do too. I, I hate it. it. What Isn't does it, 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 it mean? It just basically—it's basically, it's, it's basically it's, a way of being anti-Semitic. I think it's,
2: it's basically saying Jews. Yeah, that's it is. what. If you say globalists,
3: rootless, rootless cosmopolites is you, what Stalin used to call them.
2: Well, you look on YouTube and you put in globalists, yeah, yeah, and yeah. within a click, you will get somebody talking about the conspiracy of Jewish bankers who run the world. Well, and um, that's. What they're saying. And
3: the Soros, everybody's using the Soros thing, which, which Farage has done in Parliament. Well, see, accusing somebody of being funded by George Soros, who happens to be Jewish, uh, is a kind of way of saying they're these Jews in control. It's another conspiracy theory on the right. Well, it and was a-
2: actually propaganda, which was, this was, the Kremlin invented that as a smear. That was the Russian government who just did that. And that's been taken up by the far right in Europe and now in America, and... And
3: you get accused of it, don't you?
2: Well, it was just incredible moments. So when I met Farage in Australia, practically the first thing he said to me, I said, well, you know, why won't you answer my questions? And will you do an interview? And he said, well, why should I? I don't have to. I don't work for you. And I said, well, you're, you know, you're a public figure. You're, you're funded by people's taxes. And he said, well, who funds you? George Soros funds you, doesn't he? And for me, it was like this, it was kind of, I was, I was so taken aback because... It's what you say when you've got an audience, when you're sort of trying to make this sort of anti-Semitic dog whistle. But he was looking into my eyes as he said that. He was looking into... He
3: believes his own propaganda.
2: I did not I was just weird. I just thought, you can't... I mean, what are you... uh, It was... uh, uh."
3: Well, everybody listening, we are not funded by George Soros. There's no conspiracy here. And if you'd like to hear more of the podcasts you can listen on dalmformuller.com and there's a little button there you can contribute to the production costs cuz no George Soros is helping us out there. And we'll be back hopefully in another couple of weeks with more developments and everything. Trump, Brexit, Russia.
1: I'm told Dial M for Muller. Why Brexit Trump Russia Needs a Special Investigation. Hosted by Carol Cadwallader and Peter Dukes. Edited by Divya Amir. Music by Shimani Mir. An untold podcast produced by Duende Productions and Flameflower Studios. Untold. Dial M for Muller. junkies are you having a tough time navigating the twists and turns of the trump russia investigation so to be clear you want easily digestible and succinct reporting on the Mueller investigation that, that's what he said I, I, that's what i said that's obviously what the, the, our position is it's time you check out muller she wrote
0: muller she wrote is a weekly podcast where three female comics take a deep dive into the most consequential investigation in modern political history I'm your host, A.G., and I have to remain anonymous because I work for Trump's executive branch. Join me, along with Jalisa Johnson and Jordan Coburn, as we report the facts, break exclusive
1: news, and bring it all to you with just the right amount of snark. Then we top it off with our Fantasy Indictment League, exclusive interviews from guests including Asha Rangappa, Chris Cluey, Rabia Oshadri, and Scott Stedman, followed by conjecture all while we speculate on who is... <laughs> F- F-
2: So, tune in for consistent updates and reliable coverage on Manafort, Cohen, the Trump family, Russia, and everything Mueller, and make Mondays great again.
0: Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MuellerSheWrote, and check out our website at MuellerSheWrote.com. You'll be glad you did.